So welcome to another episode of the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. This episode, we are delighted to welcome back Purpose Disruptors to our, our podcast. And this time we have not one, but we have three of the co-founders. So welcome Lisa, Rob and Jonathan to the podcast. Thanks, Michelle. Great to be here. So let's kick off and I'll, I'll direct this to you, Lisa, with a bit of an introduction to Purpose Disruptors. For those that didn't catch the podcast previously and for those that need to find out a little bit about more about what you are doing, can you just give us an intro to where you are and what you're doing and what you're all about? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I guess we, it's worth saying we started in a pub, like all the best things do. So in 2019, the three of us um, decided to set up a pub night called Purpose Disruptors. Um, And we met upstairs uh, in a pub and gathered people from the industry together who were feeling, um, I guess, sort of tension around working in advertising with the backdrop of the climate crisis unfolding. So we went from about 20 people in a pub uh, in 2019 to two years later, having about 2000 supporters um, with us at COP26 when we launched our um, kind of projects there. So there's a real need in the industry. I guess we build sort of community in that way. That's our origins. That's how we started. Our vision is really clear. So an advertising industry transformed in service of a thriving future. So it's very much about where we want to kind of end up and our role in that. And our approach is really about working with people inside the industry. So we believe that change must come from within. And we work with industry leaders to create these kind of ripples of change and drive the transition from inside. And just to be super clear on that, I guess, um, for us, this is about what the ad industry can do. So not just clients and brands, um, but actually agencies having agency and what they can do. Um, And our work is across three sort of levers of change, measurement, education and creativity. So as we've got all three of you here as well today on the podcast, I wondered if you could just give a bit of an introduction to yourselves as the co-founders and the work you do. So uh, Rob, should we kick off with you? So it was wonderful to be back. First of all, wonderful to be back on the podcast. Really nice to be invited back and and share how things have progressed um, over the last, was it gosh, year or so since we, since um, I was on the podcast. so just to give my experience, and it's sort of a common thing, I guess, all of us, we all come from the industry, but my experience specifically is a media agency background, um, nearly 15 years in industry, 10 of those, a lifetime in Adland at Mindshare, uh, where I actually ended up in a sustainability role, which is, I think, a, a new and emerging type of role that's emerging in the industry. Um, and yeah, within my experience there, I was also chair of the IPA Climate Charter and co-founded Group M's Wide Emission Zero Work. Yes, all all work in service of what we think what we're doing at Perishrupt is about bringing collaboration, bringing people together. That's a little bit more about me. Fantastic. And Jonathan? Yeah, so I, um, so I um, have about 15 years experience, as Rob says, working in agencies. Um, so the majority of my time uh, working at JWT as a strategist. So my job there obviously is uh, what do we need to say about the brand uh, in the communications to get people to buy more stuff. Um, And then um, I then did a master's program at Ashridge Business School in sustainability and responsibility, became really alive to the climate emergency and basically realized the better I did my job, um, the more damage I caused uh, because basically advertising drives consumption, which drives carbon emissions. So cute existential crisis <laughs> uh, and then out of that um, yes as I say met Lisa and Rob and then formed the, 
um, purpose disruptors. And then this is uh, one of the things I'm also doing, um, just completed actually, was being a tutor on the new Cambridge Institute of Sustainable Leadership, um, Sustainable Marketing um, and Media and Creative programs. So that's been a really wonderful experience just to kind of, again, see the transition and change that's happening in the industry at the moment and people being alive to the emergency and wanting to take meaningful action. Hi, yeah. So I'm Lisa Merrick-Lawless. I am uh, one of the three co-founders at Purpose Disruptors. I'm an ex-client-side marketing director uh, for 10 years and then a similar decade uh, in creative agencies working as a strategy director, also um, an assessor on the uh, Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership uh, course. So that was sort of my introduction into this work and now only work at Purpose Disruptors and on climate. You, you recently presented your new advertised emissions report findings, didn't you, at COP27? I've been reading it from cover to cover. Um, lots of interesting stuff in there from really tangible, practical things that, you know, uh, advertising agencies can be doing and asking themselves uh, just that absolute hive of information. But I wonder if you can talk us through them, Jonathan, and, and how they compare to your previous report to give a bit of context on, on where we've got to. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So, so just to be clear, so, so finance, sorry, advertised emissions, um, we define as the greenhouse gas emissions that result from the uplift in sales generated by advertising. So this is the sort of idea that if advertising is going to celebrate the growth, so it causes more sales, then it needs to take responsibility for the emissions associated with that growth. So if you're going to sell an extra iPhone or an extra BMW car or whatever, then that wouldn't have existed in the world without the successful advertising. So the emissions from you know digging the stuff out of the ground in the Congo, <laughs> using it and then disposing of it, all of that is the responsibility of the advertising agency and media company. So and that, this is this is like sounds like a revolutionary idea to some, but actually it's just a mirror of what exists already in the finance industry, with, which is called finance emissions. We just simply copied what's already happening there. So finance emissions are sort of this idea of um, if you're HSBC and you you can take responsibility for your operational emissions, so your business travel and your um, offices, but what about the investments that you make? And if you choose to invest in that coal-fired power station in Poland, you have to take responsibility for the emissions associated with that. They're part of your finance emissions. And so if, if HSBC can take responsibility for their finance emissions, then an agency group, for example, can take responsibility or should take responsibility for their advertised emissions. So that's the basic kind of logic. Um, you work it out by calculating a basic calculation that we work with magic numbers which is a very um, uh, successful econometrics agency here in the uk um, and their basic equation is ad spend times by return on investment times by the carbon footprint of the things that you're selling you multiply those three things together and then you get your advertised emissions when we launched the report uh, in 20 uh, 21 uh, we were invited by the UNFCCC to invite uh, invite it to present it at cop 26 we worked out the advertised emissions in the UK was um, 186 million tonnes, uh, which equates to advertising kind of influencing 28% of the carbon footprint of every single person in the country. So this basically is quite a significant number, yes. um, you know, but, but if you speak, when we speak to people in advertising, they kind of go, yeah, that sounds about right. If we're doing our job well, we're driving growth and that growth has a consequence and that sounds about right. So we got invited back by the UNFCCC to launch to, to relaunch with the numbers uh, in Shamal Sheikh, uh, which was very really pleased about. And what we noticed is the numbers had gone up. So basically, in 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 2019, it was 186 million tons, as I said. 
in uh, 2022. It's gone up to a 208 to 11% rise in advertised emissions in the UK. And that's largely due to the increase in spend that's come out of the bounce out of COVID. Mm. So if you it, it basically, the basic point is that if the more advertising there is, obviously the more sales and therefore the more um, advertised emissions. What we did notice was um, also there was a dip in advertised emissions during COVID because ad spend went down. But in the analysis, what we identified is that not all not all sectors are equal. So, for example, automotive, because cars are so labour-intensive, automotive only represents 6% of ad spend, but it represents something like 30% of advertised yeah. emissions. And so what we conclude in the report is actually, you know, there are these carbon-intensive categories, uh, such as automotive, flying, and red meat. And perhaps, perhaps the industry should be considering not working with them if it were to choose to want to take responsibility for its advertised emissions and reduce them in line with what the science says, which is a 50% deduction um, by 2030. And we kind of offer this sort of really radical kind of invitation for the industry, which is what if the industry came together and actively encouraged the government to, to ban advertising for these carbon intensive categories? What in a wonderful kind of demonstration of responsibility and, um, and desire to do good in the world by neutralizing the kind of like competitive urge that the industry has by basically saying, we, we can't, we can't, if, if, if one agency says no to working on BA, then another one will, will take it on. We know that's the case. We'll make it pre-competitive by actually asking the government to ban it. So that's the kind of invitation in the report. But there's a huge opportunity we also articulate about how can we use our skills to a different outcome beyond consumerism to something else. For example, you know, the good life, uh, a new form of the good life, which is one of uh, another one of our projects that Lisa leads. When you talk about financed emissions, there are certain financed emissions um, that, because of the sector that they're in, will be regulated and enforced, and they they have to, you know, report on on those emissions. Not all of them, but you know, but but some do. Of course, in the with, when it comes to the agencies, they don't have to report on this. This is an invitation for them, isn't it? This isn't mandatory in any way, shape or form. Um, So it is this invitation. So how is that invitation? Obviously, the support is growing, the momentum is growing as more people become educated and aware of of the real challenges. And and of course, the concerns of of the planetary boundaries that we are all party to. But um, so Lisa, really, my question to you is, how are we driving progress? What's the appetite that you're seeing that the agencies are actually getting on board with this? Are you, I mean, we've seen that the advertised emissions have increased, but actually we know why that is. We've bounced out of COVID, you know, that kind of makes sense. But what what are you seeing as purpose disruptors with the work with agencies? How is this progressing? Is there this critical shift that there needs to be? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I think um, across all of the projects, obviously, we spend a lot of time uh, with a lot of people in the industry, kind of in, in their agencies, within working groups um, and and sort of outside of that. And in particular, within the Good Life 2030 project um, that I run, we have been doing industry leader workshops for the last 18 months now. So there's over 125 people who've been to these workshops who are senior leaders in the industry. And I think what we're seeing there is the um, the ambition, you know, is really high. So when we talk about we do in, um, amazing, immersive imagination exercises to take people to the future and to talk about, 
you know, what their visions of the future are. And when we when we do that with industry leaders, you know, they talk about things like moving from being a service industry to an industry in service of life. You know, they talk about, you know, moving from an industry uh, that sees people as leisure hungry, uh, you know, consumers to like purpose hungry citizens. So when I think about it through this lens, you know, leaders in the industry are very ambitious in their visions. So their visions of the future are massive shifts for us as an industry um, on multiple levels. So in terms of why we exist, what we do, yeah. who we serve, how we work. But there is currently a disconnect between this Horizon 3 kind of, you know, thinking and what's currently happening, um, which is mostly sort of iterative, I think. Um, and I think to give a couple of examples, so, you know, there are forces outside of the industry that are accelerating change, and that is really needed and will always be needed. You need the balance of outside and inside. So, you know, things like France banning fossil fuel advertising, yeah. things like, you know, clean creatives ramping up their activism work, things like the ASA cracking down on ads, you know, from people at HSBC and and actually recently, you know, Brewdog being kicked out of B Corp, you yep, know, all, yeah. all of this needs to, you know, happen. But you also need to see change on the inside, which comes from people in agencies, from the leaders in agencies and things that they are driving themselves, you know, because they need to be empowered to take action. So, you know, things like have us becoming a B Corp, MNC Sarchi setting up MNC Life. Um, but also it's interesting to look at, you know, things like awards, you know, recently been lucky enough to be a judge on the drum social purpose awards but also was at can lion and what we're seeing is a real shift where to win an award these days it kind of needs to be social and environmental purpose now there's greenwashing issues around that which we won't get into here but but that is a step in the right direction yeah. in the same way that you know ad net zero is a first step for people but actually what needs to happen now is people need to think bigger and act with more urgency. I mean, I don't know if you read the the latest sort of UNEP emissions gap report, you know, has a wonderful quote in it where it talks about meeting global climate goals will require rapid transformation of societies. So this idea that we can have incremental, you know, change really isn't going to work. You know, it's about a paradigm shift, a mindset shift. And I guess as purpose disruptors, we would say you need to move now from shallow small slow change to more systemic change at scale and speed yeah and I think um you know you talk about systemic change talk about appetite for change and Rob last time you were on on the podcast you talked about your initiative hashtag change the brief are you seeing more traction on that now as we as we move forward yeah, Gemma, yeah, wonderful question. Yeah, Change Brief Alliance you know has come a long way since that conversation we had back then I think back then it was just about to launch. It was a concept. I didn't think it actually existed as a, as a, as a, as a thing at that point. It was just a concept and a, an idea that we were about to bring forward into the world. But it's yeah, it's now come a long way. It now has four of the big six um, networks have signed up, plus a number of other big respected agencies like MNC Saatchi and your Oliver Group, having increasing interest from advertisers and media owners. All have signed up to the Change Brief Alliance, which a platform and a space to people in the industry the skills and confidence and knowledge to promote sustainable values and behaviors through the work and i guess speak to a clear way that the industry can make a meaningful difference it's through the work it puts out in the world how can it normalize um, and make it desirable 
sustainable lifestyles and behaviors, but sort of the huge, um, I guess, uh, challenge has been that this is a new skill. This is a new area of knowledge for people. Um, and being able to give people access to something um, that can help them with that is, yeah, it's something that people are stepping into. So, yeah, your answer is now mentioned some of those agencies, but put some numbers to it. There's 50 agencies signed up all accessing this knowledge. Um, that's 5,000 people um, all learning about why they need to do this or learning how they need to do this and all getting deep expertise uh, across um, a number of different categories, such as uh, fashion, food, and energy. And it's, and it's, yeah, I feel really proud of it because I, I'm just at a, I was at the Adnet Zero Summit um, a few months. Was it last month? Yeah, it was last month. Um, and Havas, who were a founder of the Alliance, they were the first to commit to making the Alliance uh, and funding into it and to make it a reality. Um, they've renewed, but also they've, they've talked about how giving people access to that knowledge uh, and that education is sort of a key part of their, their strategy about embedding sustainability. Yeah. In their, in, in their work and um, yeah for, for Mindshare who I used to work for and they were often orange as idea before it turned into Alliance um, a, a key project we were working on at the time was for Hellman's which just won the inaugural Adnet Zero um, uh, campaign awards on uh, yeah and, and spirit of this idea of how do we promote sustainability uh, for a really nice nice campaign it's, it's, it's been great for that campaign to get the recognition it deserves it's clear that awards are something that the agency really pins a lot of um, kudos around, isn't it? And so I suppose the fact that that is switching as well and those awards are shifting towards these more sustainable endeavours is, is indeed a positive. And on, on that um on the change, the brief. I mean, it was interesting because I met Jonathan recently at our podcast and partners event. And one of the things I was talking about is that I'd been doing some listening in as to what was going on with regards to um, the same challenges, really, in the built environment when I was at a conference with Reba. And again, they were talking about this. It has to start at the initial stage at the briefing stage yeah. and I was like you know what there's already this concept of change the brief happening in the ad industry so what we need to be doing is cross fertilizing these ideas and I know Jonathan you know this is something that we're, we're all keen to explore how this can happen because the knowledge is 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 there isn't it and the and the kind of rolling your hands up rolling your 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 um sleeves up and getting down and getting this done is there so rather than people starting from scratch there's this wonderful opportunity to share that knowledge as well and I think going back to Lisa's point about the fact that this isn't about slow cha incremental changes this is about systemic change this is about systemic change to the whole business landscape isn't it you know and what's going on in one industry is going to be a same challenge in another industry and, and at the end of the day we're all people with the same challenges and so this is wonderful that what we're creating is pockets of knowledge and systems that are transferable that are shareable to to other sectors and I, I feel that's a really important part of this being a solution and I'm really looking forward actually I've been invited to by Oliver to one of the their next change the brief um, meeting so I because I said I'd love to see how it works in action and so yes I'm going to go along with my notebook and and sit there and, uh, and and learn basically learn about you know the challenges the pushback 
because I can't imagine it's like you say, Rob, what this is similar to what Gemma and I are championing with all marketers saying, really get educated, get understand this so that you are competent and confident to ask some questions that may be a little bit uncomfortable. And you may be pushing back or you may be actually advising where that isn't necessarily your role, you know, and so so. In order to be able to have that, you have to get that education and competence and confidence to be able to do all of that. So it is it's more of that is is definitely required, isn't it? Okay, so we talked about what is happening. We talked about incremental transition. What do you think really needs to happen to pick up the pace? I I guess it's really interesting to use language of pick up the pace. I think part of our kind of sort of idea is actually maybe people just need to sort of stop and breathe <laughs> yeah um yeah. what reflect what, and reflect exactly mm. i think i think there's two thoughts here like if we look at the science you know we need to peak emissions in 2025 you know in the uk if we're going to um you know succeed in in in, in, in hitting 1.5 degrees we need to reduce consumption related emissions by 70 percent in 2030 reduction in consumption-related emissions, you know, that's a a radically different society. It's a radically different industry. In seven years. In seven years. And I think if you start with the end in mind, you know, the the, the dramatic change that the science says is required, then then how do we feel about that? Mm. Like, how do we, do, do we allow ourselves the understanding that the job that I'm doing may not exist, as it's currently articulated, the company I'm working for as currently articulated may not exist and and how do i feel about that do i feel how do i feel about my current contribution to the climate emergency do i feel guilty do i feel enlivened do i feel worried do i feel ashamed do i and all these emotions are wonderful human emotions and mm-hmm. can we allow in how we feel because if we can do that then maybe we can start to think and feel differently about our roles and decide to act from a different place. You know, Einstein said you can't solve a problem from the same thinking that created it. So if we think consumption is the way to solve, you know, it got us into the yeah. problem. If we think green consumerism, buying the green option is going to be the one that gets out of us, then I think that's pretty limited in terms of your understanding of the way things change. And I think as part of any change, any performance review, it says, you know, you need to stop, start and continue. Mm. And I think that one of the things that the industry hasn't yet come to terms with is the concept that it might need to stop doing stuff because Mm. consumerism and advertising is always saying yes to everything. And so I guess as a question then is like, what do we, what do we need to let go of and what do we need to let come and can, and you can only really let go of something. Sorry, let something new come if you're willing to let go of the thing of something that you, you you're holding on tightly to. So, what are our assumptions? What are we doing now that we might need? To, maybe it's some clients, maybe it's some practices, maybe it's whatever. But yeah, can we accept that change requires us to stop things? And I think if we can, allow, if the industry can come to terms with with that, then I think that we have a really great possibility of allowing new thoughts, new feelings, new possibilities to come through. Yeah, it just it just uh, just this just wonderful conversation just just reminds me of of some recent sessions we've been having with change of brief members, where often they come in encryptation into a session is like right with a notepad, we want to find the answer now. Going to unlock how to do this, and yeah, 
I guess to go through an experience where we're inviting them into into a, an experience where um, the key thing is actually just to be comfortable sitting with sitting with holding good questions about how we might invite this kind of work, this level of thinking into our agency and into our work. That there isn't a ready-made answer, prescriptive answer to apply this, but actually the real skill, and this is a mindset shift for many in the industry who are paid to have answers. Yeah. How do you sit with good questions? And how do you sort of work through work through those questions together to and, and live into those and, and evolve those into yeah, a meaningful way that you can embed this this level of thinking into your agency. But there's 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 work to be done on unlocking or on learning that mindset shift that I found is actually quite a fundamental part of. But yeah, I mean, the experiences that we that we create at Purpose Raptors and, and just through my recent work at Change of Brief, that's kind of like a real a real lesson. And people find that really refreshing. And like once they get it, they get it. They go, oh, okay, it's about it's about holding that complexity <laughs> and working it through it together as a team of people, all united yeah. in wanting to do this work. Yeah. Which is hugely creative, isn't it? You know, it's hugely problem-solving. is hugely creative. This is an enormous... Yeah challenge you know that's in our view there's nobody better place in the creative industry to be coming up with some incredible innovations and incredible communications and and persuasion and influence you know to get people to wake up you know to what it is we could be doing and um and should be doing and indeed the urgency I think I think that's really interesting in terms of what we could and, and should be doing one, one of the things um that we've definitely sort of seen with the Good Life 2030 project is that people are super clear on what their dreams for the future are. So this project is kind of rooted in citizen research, you know, where we've been working in depth with a group of citizens over the last 18 months, you know, to unearth their their visions of a, a good life. Like what is what does a good life mean to to you? Like yeah. what what kind of values does that surface, you know? And then we've been also you know, testing that with industry leaders. And it's a shared vision, you know, people fundamentally want to move from a place of sort of, you know, separateness and uh, to to one of connection, you know, and when you talk about the future with people, they don't talk about buying more shit they don't need. (laughs) They don't talk about a bigger telly or a bigger car. They talk about spending time in nature, spending time with each other and spending time on things for themselves that have purpose. And I think there's a really... um, there's a real need to define this kind of, you know, vision of the future, because if we need to have emissions by 2030, at the moment, the only visions, you know, in academia or culture are ones of either dystopia or utopia, and actually neither of them, like, connect. So to your point, Michelle, I think that the the skills and expertise and creativity that we have within this industry is a really key part of building that new story, that new narrative, that new vision of the future, that is something that's so compelling that people want to move towards it today. Yeah. So you're giving yeah. people, you know, the kind of North Star. Um, and this is one of the things we've done on the project. We even we got as far as making that into a creative brief. Um, and last year at COP26, we launched three adverts for the future, which were creative work done by creative agencies, Iris, McCann, Manchester and Gravity Road. Uh, not not for a like dog food brand or a toothpaste brand, but for like society and yeah. where the future 2030 was their client. And it was so fascinating 
you know, working with them on the projects and watching, you know, like like Rob was just saying, watching everybody recalibrate uh, yeah. around, you know, what a what the future could hold, you know, what their role in creating that could be, um, and the power that people in our industry have to start, you know, creating those those yeah those visions uh, to yeah. bring things to life. I was just going to say that really is that essence of getting into the hearts and minds that then compels people you know that's that's that is marketing isn't it that's creativity that is what yeah what it's all about and I love Kevin Roberts's but I know it's an old book but love marks you know that's what he talks about the thing that connects really people to advertising is is love you know it's that they see they see this real connection it's not just about new stuff and bits about and and we've almost become disconnected haven't we and uh and we need to be reminded and I think as you say that we know what we want and nobody wants to set out to destroy the world and 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 yet it's We've, we've got all of this kind of baggage, I suppose, that's superfluous to need that we need to eradicate somehow. Yeah, I think one just I think one thing to add to that is our, our industry at the moment is fundamentally set up to drive consumption. Yeah, you know, that is that is why it exists yeah. in its in its rawest form. Um, we made a documentary last year, which was like to our surprise, the first documentary made about advertising consumption and climate change and the link between them it's like a short 15 minute film with lots of the industry leaders kind of in it um but this sort of connective tissue is still a sort of wake-up moment for lots of people and what we need to move towards is an industry you know in service of a thriving future but we need different models for that we need to develop alternative models that aren't so kind of caught up in consumption and we need to sort of almost separate you know the skills the creativity the talents you know of the people in the industry from only being able to drive consumption and and how they're measured you know how success is measured you know that's another critical piece about how business performance is measured isn't it because it isn't should at the moment like you say driving consumption more sales more revenue but actually there's this this opportunity of of there being something else, more well-being, more happiness, more impact in in a positive way. So again, it comes back to some of the key performance indicators. Dare we say that 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 sit around some of these campaigns, Jonathan? Yeah, to, to Lisa's point, I think the, one of the things that we based based on what Lisa's been saying, it what, what's the brief here? <laughs> you know, and, and the way that we've sort of been talking about it is it actually inspired by quite an unusual person uh, is is uh, Bernard Looney, who's the CEO of BP. Um, uh, uh, and there's lots of there's lots of challenges about BP, as we can uh, of course talk about. But what he said, I think, was very interesting. Is he said, you know, how can we as a company serve an alternative future? And so he said, what they've done is they've basically decoupled the skills from the outcome. So the outcome at the moment is drilling oil and gas out of the ground, not good. Uh, but the skills that they have, uh, they're world class at, um, you know, uh, project management in hostile environments. Uh, you know, very, very good at logistics. They've got engineers, they've got scientists, they've got all of these transferable skills. Yeah. So his point is, can we as a company decouple those skills from the current outcome and reapply them to a new outcome? So basically, if I can drill in the, in the, uh, a mile down in the Gulf of Mexico, I can put offshore winds in in the North Sea. Yeah. 
And so our invitation to the industry is basically, can we do the same thing? Yes. Can we decouple yeah. the skills, creativity, problem solving, connecting people, insight, et cetera, from the current outcome, which is driving unsustainable consumption, to a new outcome, um, which is in service of a thriving future? And what's the business model that supports that transition? Yeah. And I think that that, so, and, and, and the answer to that conversation in, in a part is, is about what do I, as a creative, a strategist, a media person, whatever, what do I want to be in service to? And how can I imagine what that future is and then work through what's the, what does my day job look like? And what does my organization look like to be, be in that? So I think this, this paradigmatic shift is possible. Yeah. But what we're seeing is that the industry is behind finance in terms of finance emissions. And the fact that we're behind the kind of level of thinking that's at BP doesn't really say much about our ability to be creative at this moment. Yeah, just to add to that, I think one of the things that we are exploring kind of in the next year, so sort of coming up, is really what what could that model look like? What could those alternative models look like? So our work um, to date within the Good Life 2030 project has been really kind of understanding and discovering um, what the visions of the future are that people in the industry hold. And there's now a next phase of work, which is, what does that actually mean? Mm. Like, what, well, like, what, if that's horizon three thinking, and we've got all these shifts that we've identified that the industry leaders want, that we talked about a little bit earlier, then to Jonathan's point, like, what is the actual model that supports that? What's the, what's the business model? And so we are, yeah, going to be working with, um, a team of experts, you know, from systems change experts to economists to futures thinking um, and setting up working group within the industry of people who can have a play with us, have an experiment with us over the next year to look at sort of what might the model be uh, for us to be in service of a thriving future and for us to to create a sort of, you know, a new version of a, of a good life? That's where real innovation comes in, isn't it? When we talk about innovation and sustainability, mm. people are like, it, the people really struggle with, well, what do you mean by innovation? Is it, a, is it a, a re, an iteration of the product, but it's just greener? No, this is where we, and we have Shell and I talk about all the time, how exciting is it? to be have that brief in front of you of what is innovation. And I think you've just sort of unlocked it there for our audience of that's what we mean when we say innovation in sustainability. Yeah, yeah I love that. There's a real, um, I mean, the Horizon 3 model, like third horizon thinking is what is the framework that, that anchors it for me, which is there's lots of Horizon 2 glimmers, things coming into like B Corp. Everyone wants to become a B Corp, you know, thoughts about that. But actually, what's the Horizon 3 model? If you sort of, you know, parachute yourself like over, you know, to 2030, and then you think about what will be needed, and then you look backwards, like how, what is that? And then how yeah. do you get there? And that that is a classic innovation technique, yeah. you know, for sort of future scaping and, and future thinking. And I, and I think Paul Skinner, um, who you guys know well anyway from Marketing Kind, he's coming on the podcast in January to talk about his book, The Purpose Upgrade. But in that book, he shares various examples of organizations that are already doing that, that have actually, as, as you said, Jonathan, about BP starting with that kind of, okay, what does this re repurposing look like? It, and how do we do that? Because we've got the skills. He talks about the organizations that have already kind of done that, that. But what they started off with was started with looking at what are the biggest problems in the world and what are we equipped 
to to you know what's the lowest hanging fruit you know what where should we best put our resource knowledge expertise creativity innovation because we've got this happening here how can we now repurpose that actually for good to do better in the world and i think that's a really exciting question for organizations to be asking yeah i just love that you what you where you articulated that michelle and i think you know if i was running an agency now you know i would probably be thinking um what what does my agency look like? What does my organization look like with these wonderful, talented, creative people that can help society love living in in, in the UK, live, love living with 70% reduction in consumption related emissions? Yeah. Like how can I make that such a compelling lifestyle uh, and desirable future that they don't worry about consumption anymore? Yeah. Uh, but they worry yeah. about something else, the connecting to self, each other, and nature. Yeah. And how do I make that a successful, thriving business? Because I know if I can do that, I'm going to be the, the most popular agency in town. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is going to want to come and work with me. And all the clients who are on the net zero journeys are all going to come to work with me. So it's just different starting questions. It's not how do I do better consumption from today? Yeah. It's how do I transform society and how do I use my talents to get to help us get there? As the architects yeah. of desire, Agency people have got all the answers and all the t- so we've got all the talents. They just need to come up with better answers. And, and the sharing economy, you know, it's making a huge comeback, isn't it? You know, people sharing things as opposed to buying new things. And you know, charity shops have been around since the dawn of time. You know, the original circular economy model. And and I think you know, there's been a huge switch, hasn't there? Not just to share things to save money, but to share things to help others. To share things because community is is important and that again goes back to how people used to live didn't they where they shared things and it was about community it wasn't about being disconnected and sitting and ordering everything off multiple apps on your phone so it's really really interesting i think we could talk to you guys all day about everything that's going on um but we like to ask all our guests the same three quick fire questions to wrap up the show and you can all have an answer at this because i think there's so much knowledge Uh, in the room right now that it would be great to get all of your takes on this so our first question to you and I'll start with you Lisa and then we'll go Jonathan then Rob is can marketing save the planet? Marketing plays a huge role in shaping society creating culture driving desire for a different future so for me that is where the power lies. Um, Can marketing save the planet? I think if it chooses to balance you know societal environmental needs with financial needs so it focuses actually on serving well-being, long-term well-being for all based on the actual needs of people and planet rather than the financial needs of an organization, then absolutely it can. But if it continues um, to be in service of, of, of just financial growth and unsustainable consumption, then it will remain part of the problem. It will, it's killing the planet, not saving it. And Rob? And yeah, that, that question reminds me of a, a conversation I had in the pub at the weekend where uh, people were asking about my job and um, my response was I think it's going to take us all we all have a role to play doctors teachers artists we all have a meaningful role to play how do we lend the creative juices that we all have to be in service of, uh, of saving the planet yeah. and each other it's everybody's role isn't it fantastic and our next question what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time Lisa I mean, this is what I'm spending all of my time doing at the moment, (laughs) like sort of literally collective futures, futures thinking, emergent futures. Literally, it's a whole other world I'm I'm learning about on the job. Um, 
So I, I guess, you know, I hope it will be in service of a, a good life in, in 2030. You know, that's the aim of the, the project. And, and like we've talked about, I think people have a really clear vision of the future that they want. Um, it's just how do we start moving towards that today? How yeah. do we make it compelling? Fantastic. Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. What does the business look like in ten years? So, I, so I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. I think Lisa's clearer on this than me. Or she's working on it. I, I, and I think that I think what's so wonderful about that is therefore it's a creative task, right? It's it's, yeah. it's where creativity can come alive. It's up for the people in the industry, not the clients, telling you what to do. It's up for the people in the industry to decide what that can be. And to do that, they need to come to terms with the current kind of problem that they're helping create, um, and then co-create. You know, an alternative future for themselves, different jobs, different job descriptions, different organizations, different industries to be in service of an alternative society. So, yeah, no idea, but it's so exciting that if they take up the challenge, they can create, they can use their talents to, to co create an alternative business and an alternative future for themselves. It's really, really exciting. And Rob? So, for me, yeah, so I love the uh, economist Kate Wayworth's uh, book, Donut Economics. It's a great framework and it helps unlock like alternative to that sort of hockey stick chart, like yeah. really growth and helps you think about, you know, businesses that thrive in planetary and social boundaries. So, yeah, that's my hope for business in 10 years' time that that's how we look at how we define success within planetary and social boundaries. And we think about thriving rather than just pure, pure growth. Yeah, absolutely. All about thriving. And final question, uh, Lisa, uh, if you were to give one piece of advice to others around getting started with sustainable advertising, what would it be? I mean, get on with it. (laughs) Yeah, like start somewhere. I think uh, you'll never know enough. Like you'll never be an expert. There are lots of experts. You'll never be one. That doesn't matter. It's fine. That's not what's needed right now. Uh, What is actually needed is your creativity, your skills, your expertise, your problem solving, um, and a need for better stories that, that make people want to move towards a different future. So start from where you stand with what you already have. Um, and yeah, just start there. Fantastic. Jonathan. And on that, I think, yeah, what's the one piece of advice? I, I, I just take a moment to reflect on the, what's the question that you don't want to ask, right? Either yeah. prompted by this podcast or your other podcasts or just your own heartfelt desire to make the world a better place. What's the question, the tension, whatever that comes for you? What's that question? Ask it to yourself and then ask it to a colleague. Because I bet if you're thinking it, someone else think, thinking about it. And, and it's an act of leadership to put into words what other people have yet to articulate for themselves. And people will really are really grateful when you do that. Yeah. Uh, but you need to be courageous enough with yourself to ask the question you don't want to ask both to yourself and to your colleague. But that's what I would that's what I would be doing. Be brave. Yeah, be brave and yeah, and recognize that you're not alone. You're not yes. alone in this thinking. And wherever you sit, wherever whichever organization you work with. So find that beautiful question, that difficult question that you want to ask and find allies within your organization put that question to and start a community of change makers from where you from where you work yeah absolutely when we interviewed Seth he said if the room get in the room where these questions are being asked and if the room doesn't exist create the room so uh, you know that's that's kind of what you're saying so thank you so much how can everybody find out about the work that you are doing so we can add this into the show notes make sure that everybody and, and is there anything that you want to specifically direct people to 
I mean, I think everything generally is on our website, so purposedisruptors.org. Um, with regards to Good Life 2030, that also has its own website, which is goodlife2030.earth. Um, and I think also we have monthly gatherings, um, either in a pub or online. So we're constantly sort of feeding, you know, a community of people and listening to a community of people. So on our website, you can sign up um, to the newsletter and then there you will get invites to everything from pub nights to online um, meetups to the launches of all the projects. So that's probably the easiest way um, yeah, to get in touch. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being on the show. We love absolutely everything that you guys are up to and we yeah. will stay tuned very closely and um, and and just keep sharing the, the, the great work that you're doing. So thank you so much for spending time with us. 